A warm welcome to the Leaders with Babies podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I'm the CEO and founder of Leaders Plus, an award-winning social enterprise dedicated to supporting leaders with babies and young children. I passionately believe that it is not okay that in the UK today, if you have a child and want to care for it, it really does impact on your chances of getting to the most senior jobs. With this podcast and our award-winning Leaders Plus Fellowship program, I want to change this by giving you inspiration and practical support so you can continue to progress your career whilst enjoying your young children. Today's guest is a friend and a fellow entrepreneur, Kath Austin. She's the CEO and founder of the fast-growing, multi-award-winning company BB Wraps. She is a mother of two as well. She and I talk very honestly about what it takes to start your own business, how she took it from kitchen table to shop shelves, and how to be present with your kids despite having 100 things to do. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Very warm welcome, Kath, to the podcast. I'm so delighted that we can use this as an excuse to have a proper chat. <laughs> Thank hour. you for inviting me. Um, why don't we start with you introducing what you do and who is in your family? Sure. So I am the founder of a company called BB Wraps. Um, we manufacture a reusable natural alternative to cling film, beeswax wrap, and we are um, innovating with new products that are coming out later this year as well. In my family is David, my partner, um, my daughter Lyra, who's seven, and my other daughter Naomi, who's nearly four. Fantastic. And can you introduce your business a bit more? So who is in your business? How many people do you lead? Um, and what have you achieved so far? So BB Wraps started off very small. It was in uh, it was kind of a kitchen table enterprise um, that grew very, very rapidly. So three years ago in 2017, I was still making them in April in um, 2017, still making them on my kitchen table. From then to now, we've grown so much. I can't even tell you, um, <clears throat> but it's we now employ 15 people with a number of contractors as well. Our production team work from you know eight in the morning till 11 at night. We produce around 20,000 units a month. And we've been featured in, in lots of amazing publications as well, like um, The Guardian and The Daily Mail and Women at Home and Marie Claire. And there's, there's more, but it's just, yeah, that's just a taste. Oh, and we've also, I also went on to Dragon's Den as well, which obviously has to be mentioned. Um, <clears throat> so yes, the business is, um, is growing. It still hasn't really reached its peak. Um, we don't really see growth tailing off anytime soon and it's it's pretty breakneck mm, I can imagine what made you started the business kind of found me I have always been into kind of experimenting and like trying to make do amend myself at home and not just buy a solution and I was so annoyed with the amount of plastic that we had coming into our lives as a result of extending our family or and just having to do things like buy convenience food or, um, I don't know, buy extra clothes that come in plastic or there's so, so, so much of it. And I realized this problem was huge and I couldn't just turn my hand to something and fix it all. But I did wonder if there was a way that we looked after food before plastic came along. And I did a bit of research on Google. It turned out people were making uh, waxed fabric um, as a way to store food. So I started doing it. And since then... People encouraged me to, you know, sell them online and, and markets and so on. And it grew and grew and grew. And I think we were 
I was very lucky that we were, I was one of the, the earliest people in the UK to do it. And so it came out of a real desire to want to do something better, probably out, you know, from the milky moments where you sit under a baby and you just want the best for them and the, the world to be better. And that's, that's kind of where it came from. Mm. So you started that after your second, uh, your first child, pregnant yeah. with your second, is that right? So I started Baby Raps in earnest after my second was born, but the thoughts were all there. So when I stopped working and like I said, you sit under a baby a lot when you have a newborn, you have to sit and feed and you know you can sit scrolling on your phone or you can watch telly and that's all great. But after a while, I just kind of sat with my thoughts and you know, thoughts turn to action. And I think maternity leave is a really good opportunity to think expansively. And I really started doing that. It came out of, of having Naomi, I guess. <laughs> I'm interested though in the time aspect of it. So mm -hmm. maternity leave, sometimes it just feels that you don't have a second you to don't. sit down. You don't have a second because you're always, someone is always demanding of you physically. <clears throat> and the sleep deprivation obviously can't be measured and explained to anyone unless you've been through it. But you know, when you work and you're, you know, you're thinking about the tasks that you've got in your emails and the people you've got to get back to and this and that, and there's a mental um, occupation there that it was different when I had kids because I felt like it was more of a physical occupation. And I just, my thoughts were, were free to kind of go off and think and do stuff and imagine what might be. And that's what came out of Matt Leave. Interesting. I am curious though, just the practical things. So you had basically a pan with hot beeswax on yeah. the table <laughs> and the baby in the arm. Yeah, totally. I, I totally did those two things together <laughs> and your baby survived. <laughs> That's yeah. very good. She hasn't got any legs left, but she's fine. No, I'm joking. Um, no, she, <laughs> this is very much a kind of outlet for, you know, you have a kid and you think everything I do is about this child. And I really need, just needed a little outlet for something that was me, something I love pottering in my kitchen so much. And this was just another form of pottering. So yeah, I did. I had a molten saucepan of beeswax. I had, I ripped up bed sheets and I started painting the beeswax onto the bed sheets with a pastry brush. And it just kind of went on from there. Wow. And did you plan at that stage to make it into a business when you the first time you got out that pan I remember no I didn't at all think that it would turn into a business I just thought this is so cool I'm I found a solution I found something which will help us and then when everyone else really liked it I thought oh maybe it is like a cottage industry I can do it on the side because I was working as fundraiser for a charity and so I had all of that kind of going on in my life I didn't really expect to ever pivot in my career. I loved my job so much and leaving was very, very difficult. So no, I didn't ever expect to, but I do remember this one day where I had decided to do something with it. And that was the January before the April when I first sold one commercially. And I remember sitting on a beanbag in my living room. My parents were there. They'd come over to stay, see the kids. And and David, my partner, was there. And mum said to me, what do you want to do with this, Kath, really? And I just looked at her and went, well, 
take over the world clearly (laughs) and it was such a throwaway comment it was such a I think I just dream my dreams are big and wide and broad and massive and but in reality I I wonder if they could ever really become true but I, I think it's really good to dream very very big and then it doesn't matter if it doesn't happen but just expect something might happen and it well yeah and you obviously started doing the business while you were on maternity leave and then at a time when you had to decide whether or not hand in your notice was it making any money no (laughs) I said none at all or um when I handed my notice in the driving force behind that was that I was accepted onto the Cambridge Social Ventures Incubation program and I knew that giving time to that um, every month and giving time to the business and giving time to my job just wouldn't be possible. And so I had to make a choice. Something had to go and it, it couldn't be my kids and my partner. It couldn't, I didn't really want it to be baby wraps. So that was the thing. And I think that was an important moment where, you know, you leave something behind and you move forward. And I moved forward into, well, complete unknown territory. And you're right. It wasn't it wasn't making, now this is difficult because I hadn't incorporated at that point. I was still a sole trader. And in that sense. So for, the, for people who who <clears throat> don't know what that is, basically you weren't a company. I was you were a company, yeah. just selling things. Just uh, a woman yourself. selling her wares <laughs> on the market <laughs> and on a website. And I was able to, all the revenue I was able to, you know, it's, it's, it's my income and then I just paid tax on it. Um, but obviously when you incorporate that all changes completely and then you, you take a salary or dividends, whatever. But at that point, yes, it was making money, enough money to kind of partially replace the salary. Partially. Okay. <laughs> Very partially. Okay. And what gave you the courage to do, to do it at that point? It was my partner, David said to me one day, we were on our way home from our holiday. Uh, We were trying to work out what to do. And the kids were asleep in the back of the car. And we were having one of those chats that you can only do when both of you are completely occupied with sitting in a car. And he said, Kath, it's a no brainer. And then he said something so hilarious. He's never going to live it down. He said, you don't earn that much money anyway. <laughs> very charming. <laughs> very charming. And, and to be honest, it was, it was, it was true-ish. I had a brilliant, brilliant job, but I was only working part-time at that point because I'd phased my return back to work. So considering what we'd gone through with mat leave and then phasing back in, it wasn't that much of a loss. The potential to earn more was there, but he said, if it's now, it's now or never. It's a no-brainer. You've got to try. Mm. So there may be people listening to this who have an idea, may have tested it with a mm. few people and are thinking about when the right time is mm-hmm. to hand in their notice. Now, that's obviously personal to everyone, but yeah. what have you learned about that decision-making process? Well, deciding to leave paid employment must be supported with income from elsewhere. it's a fallacy to think that you can just walk away and your business will suddenly make money. We were lucky in the sense that we could tighten the belt in every area of our life and live off one salary. We were lucky that we came into this business right at the beginning of the curve. And so we experienced quite a lot of success early on. Yeah, I think it does really come down to that because you do need to 
pay for stuff. Um, mm. And then I guess the emotional side of leaving a job. I know a lot of people kind of wear, uh, they they value, I valued it. I've, I've I found a lot of, it was my project away from motherhood. And I guess that was hard to leave, the security of that mm. as well. Okay, so tell me about your kids. I remember you and I having a conversation. Mm -hmm. So um, for those of you who don't know, um, Kath and I were together on the Cambridge Social Ventures course, which is really powerful. And I can recommend to anyone who is um, in the early stage of developing something. And I remember you telling me that every evening, like you, were, I think you were doing days and evenings mm -hmm. making wraps. And it sounds like you were working a lot more in yeah. employment so, so how did that how did you manage that with your kids okay so the reality of starting a business and this is something that no one ever tells you and would have been helpful to know is that you probably for the first two years you probably will work every hour god sends I so I was working for the first six months of the business in my fundraising job and I was working in the evening making the wraps And building the website and doing the branding and marketing and booking events and trying to find people to help me to do it. And so you do everything yourself and in the hours available. And it was so exciting then. And that's one of the good things about starting a business is that in the first two years, you have a lot of energy for it. And then after that, and I was warned about this, you get that kind of entrepreneur's fatigue where resilience starts to perhaps wane a little and you have to really look at looking after yourself and we were talking about this just now weren't we about guarding sleep very very important and I've kind of summed it up it's very boring but the only way to to really kind of looking after yourself is threefold number one sleep number two eat the right food don't just try and get by on Mars bars Number three is to try and get some exercise in whatever form you can, even if it's just a walk around the block. Mm. And if you can manage to do all three, you're pretty good. You, you can do it. Yeah, I think that's very interesting because actually when you are an entrepreneur and at the same time you have young children, you feel like whatever small amount of time that is left you want to dedicate to your children but actually it's even more important to focus on going for that run or that walk or let's be yeah. honest, like just sit in front of the tv and watch um a series that you enjoy mm. uh, doing something for you is so important in order to get your keep your stamina yeah. for that period of time and i i would say that even now i still have moments where i know i just need to binge a box set mm. and that's what i need i need to zone out and have the push all of the worries of business out of my head push up all the worries of family life out of my head and just lose myself in a box set that's fine But you also need to remember exercise. Your body is yours to look after. Exercise, sleep, eat the right food. Mm, absolutely. Did having a business affect what type of mother you were? Oh, that's a really good question. That's, that is, gosh, if anything's going to floor me today, that's the question. Because I still feel the guilt of not giving Naomi the same start that Lyra had. So Lyra, I took the whole year of mat leave. I didn't have a business growing and brewing in the background. I was really there for her. But, you know, Lyra's, she, you know, a different child. And Naomi, 
obviously this was all happening, but she's so much more outgoing and confident. She's happy to, you know, sit with other babies and gurgle and now talk and run away and whatever with other children. So they are different children, but they had a very different start in life. Now they have a very similar life. And I, I try to be there as much as I can. So I still try to do a school run every day. It may be that it's every other day sometimes, but I try to be there like just my face in the room as much as possible. But I would, I, I definitely am a different mother to the one that I would have been if I hadn't started a business and reconciling that in my head took some time. But then Lyra said something that, really helped me to see the benefit of doing this to her. We were all sat around the table again. Mum and dad were there, my mum and dad. And Lyra turned to my mum and said, Grammy, she calls her Grammy. Grammy, did you have a business when mummy was a little girl? (laughs) And that is is such an emotional thing to hear your child assume this is normal. (laughs) (laughs) This is normal to her. Her ceiling of achievement is so much higher than mine ever was at the same age Mm. she knows that it's completely normal for women and mothers and girls to just go off and start things themselves that's Mm. normal and that's something I could never have given her if I hadn't have done it myself Mm. that's incredibly powerful and I find it very inspiring to hear my kids are a bit younger but I I would love them to say something (laughs) similar when they're a bit older I can really relate to the guilt factor and but what I've come to terms with is that what I really want to do is that when I'm with them and obviously you know I am with them in the evenings and and mornings usually uh, when I'm with them that I want to be present and actually whether or not I do everything that it says in the parenting books to do and you know all these stuff <laughs> like now they're starting to go to to class uh, to, cl- to school so I'm starting <clears> to think oh I should be taking them to different you know activities and swimming and all that which I haven't done so far yet but what I want to do is just be present with them even if it's just five minutes a day to be really focused I don't always mm. manage it and actually more often than not I don't mm. but I think you know I'm a good enough mother and I think I wouldn't be a better mother if I didn't have a business and had a more classical job or a social enterprise, as it were. Interesting. And do you think now, just from a practical perspective, flexible working-wise, is it easier to start a business if you have your own business? It's easier. Did you find that? Yes, definitely. That is definitely one of the benefits because you know the world's digital now so you can do a lot of the work online and you don't need to be in the office five, nine to five but you say in traditional jobs you find that they they force you to be in the office at certain times and so you're under the um your obligation to them that you said you would be here then so that's what you have to do but I don't have to do that and I can work whenever I like that is a major benefit I find I work more but I find I work when when I want to. So um, David and I, whoever's on that school run at the end of the day, doesn't work between the hours of 3.30 and 7 because that's when we're with the kids mm. and that's where he is right now, in fact, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we then, as soon as the kids are in bed, we I'll say to him, are you working tonight or are you deciding to not work? And I'm afraid that is that is the um, the trade-off that 
it's it's making a decision not to work as mm. opposed to working one question i'm always asking yourself myself is how do you stop working because in your business you could always do more obviously there's a lot of demand for your product yeah you keep you know getting awards and <laughs> you're you, you you keep um you know you, you do you have a number of awards now haven't you? <laughs> but either way you do you do there's a lot of traction and you could always sell more be yes. do more try to get more publicity and so mm. on in order to grow your business how do you decide what not to do Good question. Um, I think if I was a logical person, then I would have made a very good plan as to how things were going to happen and how much I was going to do. And if I had the information of what opportunities were coming my way, then I would definitely have made a plan. But I'm not that person. I can aspire to be, but I will never be. I'm very much action oriented and a bit of a butterfly going here there and everywhere like oh that's great that's a great idea let's go there oh oh yeah that's great let's go there and so it's my body that's decided I was saying that after the two years the resilience starts to really wane and after two years of doing this it it got to the point where I thought I can't do this anymore it's too hard and then you start to listen to your body and you start to listen to the things like perhaps don't go on your emails after a certain time I know for you it's six o'clock isn't it and then for me it's like maybe I'll just check them after the kids have gone to bed and that's it and then I'll say there's a cutoff but it's all come out of learning the hard way and finding yourself in a bit of a hole not mm. because I was clever and thought it up front mm. and I think that's it isn't it it's a constant journey to use mm. the buzzword and you just have to learn and readjust as things go yeah. it's, it's interesting how you and I have very different ways of working mm. given my kids are not yet in primary and yours yours are and and I may yeah, very well have to lock on um later on in um you know once once the kids are a bit older I'm fascinated about the growth of the business mm. so once you had a few people buying and you made a little bit of money what happened to make it grow was it easy and it flew off the shelves or not um yeah we, we've we have been lucky in that we were right at the beginning of this big eco curve and so it's always been pretty easy to sell um bb wraps but i wouldn't say that it's always been a breeze there have been times where i thought i don't know if we're going to have a business at the end of this dips in retail are notorious after christmas and there, you know, there are times when you just think, I don't know what's in the sales pipeline right now. And that's the thing. You've got to keep thinking three, four months ahead, like what's coming then and making sure you're nurturing it and bringing it in. Um, I've forgotten the question already. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely fine. Uh, and you know what? I think I probably forgot <laughs> what it was. Either. <laughs> uh, um, but I, I, Something I, about growth. Oh, yes, okay. yes, yes. That's right. That's right. So, so... Did you get particular organizations to stock your products? And oh, if- yeah, that's that's right. That's So um, growing BB wraps needed a little bit more in terms of investment as well. So the first thing we did was got people to stock the products. And that was just kind of tiny little deli shops or um, eco stores or lots of small independents. We call them our SME champions and we still have loads of them, but they would be really small orders. And we would be such good friends with them. We'd end up spending half an hour on the phone every time, which isn't 
exactly viable when you're trying to get more business through. So we started off with them, but then, and then the more we got, the more we needed to grow and to grow, you really need investment. So we took loan finance and that really helped us through some quite tricky patches where perhaps we saw the retail dip. And then it's just about growing your brand awareness in the market and social media is great at that, but actually paper clicks even better. Um, so there's lots of paper clips, paper click. Um, so like oh. advertising on Facebook or Instagram or Google, it can be a bit of a money pit, but if you use experts who know what they're doing, then that's always good. There are lots of different things that helped grow BB wraps. No doubt it was mostly, we were at the, the beginning of a curve. But yes, it's not smooth sailing. It's been up and down roller coaster. You've done some pretty brave things, uh, not to, least to mention the, for example, the Dragon's Den appearance. Mm -hmm. Did you ever have moments where you thought you were, you know, it wasn't like you suffered from imposter syndrome? What do you mean? I haven't had any moments where I suffered from it. <laughs> I think it's a permanent condition. Do, do you still think that yeah, this is... absolutely. Especially... And imposter syndrome comes from weak moments when <clears throat> you're tired or you haven't visualized it in your head. Like I do a lot of thinking, oh, how would that look if I went on Dragon's Den? And then I kind of map it out in my head like, hmm, I would do that if that happened. And that, and people call that visualization, but I think that's a fancy word for something you just do in your head. The moments that imposter syndrome ever gets me is when I'm hungry, tired, <laughs> overwhelmed. And I think, and the voice in my head goes, you're not cut out for this. You're not good enough to do this. You're not a business person. But who, who the hell is out there saying that I'm not cut out to do that? Logically, I know I'm, I am more than capable of doing this. And so, yes, imposter syndrome gets me still a lot of the time, but it is something that I can control and whatever I'm suffering from at that moment wait until it goes and then come back and ask the same question mm. and what have you learned about dealing with those moments which we all have is it just about knowing they're happening and they will pass yes or? exactly it's just riding it out ride it out don't make any decisions that's really important don't make any decisions while you're feeling that way because it's not going to be a balanced decision and it might be the wrong one if you're feeling that you're not capable confident mm. have you made any mistakes like really big mistakes yes. along the way? and what what do you learn from them yeah so some of the mistakes were not acting fast enough or or acting too fast and knowing the difference can you give an example um huh. yeah so perhaps I once took out some advertising in a paid magazine and spent lots of money on it and really made the de decision rashly without thinking. And it then I didn't put any marker points in that advert to, to show if it was successful or not. It certainly didn't feel successful. That was a really big mistake. And there are lots of times that sort of thing has happened. And now I've kind of taken the philosophy that I should fail fast so try something out do it in a lean way it doesn't cost too much money measure it right and then if it doesn't work just push it to one side and carry on with what you're doing so mistakes are helpful but you I think I have to manage them so that they don't they're not costly and that one was pretty costly mm, mm, absolutely 
I do want to talk about money because I don't think we do enough. Yeah. Um, can I ask if your salary now is better than what you had? No. When you were employed? No. Not yet. Not no. yet. But that's the choice. That's the choice I made. Mm. I'm able to pay my staff. And mm. I think it's more important that we can live like this. We're okay. You know, the belt's still tight. But actually, we've got quite used to this frugal living and we like the flexibility of life. David is a consultant. He does, you know, the hours that he chooses. And it's very, it's, it doesn't work as, as much as he used to either uh, in a traditional job. I like the fact that I can be there for the kids a bit more um, than if I was, I'm not really putting this right. I'm just happy with the way things are at the moment. I can live on the salary that I'm on at the moment and I'm happy that I can pay the staff so that I can give them more things and they're paid to take on that responsibility mm. fantastic that articulate so, yes <laughs> yeah so basically you you really prioritize growing your team and paying them in a way uh, and you keep your salary at the same level yeah for now but that is because you're a social entrepreneur rather than a yeah that is a major factor but also you can't deny the fact that I'm still building a business and I own the business. So, you know, the value and the, the, the payback from doing all this is still in the, the value of the business. So um, it's still mine and that's, that's, that's pay as well. Mm. It's not just about the salary, although it is, like I said earlier, it's still very important to make sure you've got some income coming in. Mm. Of course, mm. of course. In hindsight, is there anything you would do differently about how you both built your business and perhaps related to your children during this period? Yeah, building the business, I perhaps would get a grip on the finances more than I did in the first year. So it helps that David is an accountant. And I think I kind of relied on him too much just to say how we're we doing finances great don't need to know but actually it's a very good idea to know and I've made a point of trying to keep abreast of what's going on and know what the future looks like with different scenarios in the finances <clears throat> that's what I would definitely do differently next time and I think that might save some of the mistakes I made the costly mistakes I made because I would feel the how far I was away from going into the red, for example. Or, um, and then with the kids, I, for the last two weeks, I haven't had a mobile phone and it's been wonderfully liberating. I initially thought, oh my God, how can I run a business without a phone? And the first week I was on holiday, so I didn't necessarily need to be connected to my phone all the time. I could just look at my laptop in the evening and the morning and the evening. But since I got back from holiday, I've been at work without a phone. <clears throat> and with, I've, I've found even at work, it's not so bad, but at home, it's not just the default action to the kids are doing something. Oh, look at my phone. I don't do that anymore. I feel like I've been able to close off properly because looking at work stuff means opening up a laptop. Now I might get my phone back soon and this might all change because we're human and we, we can't, we just love the dopamine hit of that mobile. But mm. I'm really thinking long and hard now that perhaps the best thing I could have done by them was to not use my mobile phone for work. Mm. And that's a really disruptive idea in this 
time to mm. think in that way. It's all supposed to be ease and access and convenience, but it comes at a price and the price is your head. Absolutely. That is such a good way of putting it. Yeah. I'm not perfect at this at all, but I really do try. So I know these devices and things like Twitter, they're engineered to give you the dopamine hit totally. to get you addicted. Mm -hmm. And it does take your attention away. And then mm. your head is in 10 different places and the kids. Yeah. And they hurt know. themselves. <laughs> they know. And mine actually have hurt themselves. Oh, no. I was on the oh, phone. Really? oh, yes. Oh, it was pretty that. embarrassing to explain to Gosh. my partner. <laughs> poor you. Oh, poor them. But also poor you. Gosh, you must put, but, you know, but what I do do is I, for example, leave the phone downstairs quite often yeah. when I take them upstairs at about uh, seven o'clock. And then I do not because it's downstairs I do then not look at that's it anymore that's a great strategy it doesn't rely on willpower exactly or sometimes I, when I do a day out with them I leave the phone at home yeah. as, as well I get lost on those <laughs> occasions but it's worth just, it just you know even so sometimes I use my phone as a distraction because it's, it's actually quite relaxing not relaxing to look at the news but when your kids really annoy you actually yes. to, to have a bit of a moment of I respite. think it's like the mini box set binge it is yeah. it really is and not having that though makes me feel like I had a much more meaningful day by the yes. end of it. So yeah, I'm all for no phones. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I'm I'm dreading getting it back because it relies on me yeah. to then do something with this knowledge that I now have that life is a bit better without it. That's very true, and I think I've learned both from not using my phone so much and that actually performance and excellence isn't linked to being always it's there. not it really isn't the funny thing when we went on holiday and I was checking emails in the morning and the evening I thought I'm gonna see what comes through and I'm gonna start tagging the ones that are important and the ones that are not and really see what I'm getting because when you check your emails constantly it's very hard to get that overall picture of what comes into your inbox and I was amazed at just how little important stuff came in and how much rubbish how much stuff I could just say that's not important and and now I've got Google do the Google Mail do the thing where you can put the little yellow arrow in to say if it's important and every time you get that email from that person it will put it into the important box and that's what I've done now and it's amazing how much of it is not worth your head mm, absolutely and uh and doing emails is not necessarily work. And I think, especially when we're thinking about leadership and we're thinking about building businesses, yeah. the important things are about building those relationships, you being able to smooth some journalists, which I know you're doing extremely well, so that you make sure you get onto those pages, <laughs> building your relationships with the stockist and so on and so forth. Of course, you need to mm -hmm. not always, you know, get back to people every now and then so they know you haven't forgotten them if you yeah but that is um I think very important and the important stuff happens outside of the inbox it really does and batching up your time saying okay this time of day I'm gonna do emails and not just sitting on it all the time it's so hard I am really really rubbish at that mm. really rubbish and I'm trying to think of ways that I can change it so it's not just willpower that dictates how I work and I think you're, you're absolutely right that the way to run and build this business is the networking, the relationship building, but also, and this is brand new to me and quite underdeveloped, is strategy. It's a word that David has said to me more times than I like, but he's right. Planning ahead, thinking about where you want to be and backtracking from there to kind of make the path through the forest and why, how do we get there? And that is writing it all down and having a strategy and not just kind of flying by the seat of your pants. 
that doesn't involve your inbox and it's something which you can do steadily and it's deliberate work Mm. and that's what I'm learning now Mm, absolutely someone said to me recently you get paid the more senior you you get the more you get paid not for what you do but for what you think yes and actually carving that time out for strategy is incredibly important I am obviously not doing it as much as I've been doing it. but yeah I think um no it's absolutely I, we're listening to us we're both berating ourselves saying we're not doing we're really rubbish at it but actually what I don't want to do is come across as someone who's got it all together I really don't mm. and it's just a it's just an effort to try and keep on the path yeah just try exactly and I think if if anyone listening to this is, is going to look up Kath Austin and BB Raps you'll find lots of awards and you know publicly it looks like the <laughs> wonderfulest um, it's funny what you look like to yeah. the public yeah, underneath. Yeah. It's interesting, interesting. Okay, so I think we're going to have to come to the end because of time. But I let's tell people if they have an idea, where can they get support? So the one of the best things that I did was contact an incubation program. And there are lots, and not just for social ventures, but for commercial ventures, like traditional commercial ventures as well. I would find a mentor or someone that you trust that, seems to not just be a yes person but is a challenger to you in the right way and ask them to help you hold your hand for as long as you need it and then yeah surround yourself with people who who do that sort of thing who are not yes people and who can support you Mm, absolutely and if anyone listening is thinking about a social innovation idea it doesn't have to be one where you're definitely going to give up your job for but if you have an idea about something you'd like to do to change Mm -hmm. things then I can really recommend the Cambridge Social Ventures weekend it's run by a team embedded in Cambridge University but it's not scary you know they're not scary at all it's very inclusive I I did that and I don't know if you did as well yeah so the the social venture weekend is what I started on and I remember going to the opening seminar and feeling like I was either going to burst into tears or burst out laughing because they actually believed in everybody who was there so you have to tell them what your venture is your idea and then they say whether or not you're right for them almost and more often than not you are but you go along and they really believe in you and I think the confidence that you get from someone who's in your corner saying yes 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 you can do this here's some things you might want to check have you tried this perhaps don't do that just giving you advice in that way that you need it Mm. can give you so much confidence to go forwards absolutely and what are the top three things someone who's thinking about the business idea should be doing next week start lean meaning don't spend too much money too early if you can help it now i know a lot of tech industry um startups are all about the investment because they need it all up front if you can just try to start as lean as possible and prove the idea works and is there's a market and it's worthwhile pursuing without um, spending too much money too much time fail fast um, so that's my first piece of advice The second is to do it because often we plan too much and we don't actually do anything. (laughs) So even if it's just, just start, just, it's like when you, you know, when someone tells you to go for a run and the whole thing just scares the hell out of you, just put the trainers on, just sit at the bottom of the stairs, put the trainers on, see how you feel. So just start doing something, even if it's small. And then the third thing is again surround yourself with people who support you in the right way 
That's excellent advice. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> um, so if people want to get in touch with you or with BB Raps, what's the best way to do so? So you can visit BB Raps at bbraps.com and you can get in touch with me via the website on our contact us page or you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Fantastic. I'd be happy to chat. And you've got quite an active social media presence, haven't you? We uh, really do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's B as in B like the insect. That's B-B right. Raps. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, B-W-E-B-W-W-R-A-P-S. I've said that before. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, oh, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank I'm so pleased that we had a chance to sit down properly. Um, and yeah, look forward to keeping talking. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation I had with Kath. You can get in touch with her on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook via at BBRaps. That's B written like the insect. And you can, of course, order their beautiful products on BBRaps.com. You can get in touch with her directly on at Kath, K-A-T-H-B-B on Twitter. Thank you to everyone who shared feedback and suggestions over the last week. You said that you really like the practical tips and also deep conversations where the person I'm interviewing and I have a proper discussion. So I've, I've tried to take that on board and develop the episodes in that direction. Do let me know if there are any particular episodes you liked or if there are any other topics that you would like me to cover. I always love to hear from you. If the podcast is useful to you, then please support it you can do so by taking a moment to share with five friends right now, either by sending them a quick text or, of course, sharing it on social media. And I have got some people on my dream guest list who are a little bit high profile. Um, that's not what, why they're on my list, but because I really want to speak to them. And I know that the more people listen to this podcast, the easier it will be to get them to say yes when I eventually have the courage to approach them. So please do share it. And also it really helps if you can leave reviews. Anything that you want to talk to me about, do get in touch. My email address is verena at leadersplus.org.uk. Have a wonderful rest of the week and looking forward to next week.